This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Yes, this is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood movies. This week, we are going back to the movie Independence Day to see if our nostalgia is warranted. We thought it might be fitting uh, for this month and might even get released on the 4th. We'll see how my schedule goes. We promise nothing. (laughs) We never promised anything. Put in a disclaimer for that one. I said might. (laughs) <laughs> All right, Mark, give me a timer. I'm going to try to do the 60-second synopsis for this movie. Okay, are you ready? I am. Okay, three, two, one, go. Aliens come to Earth and position themselves in major cities across the globe. David Levison, an MIT-trained satellite technician, detects their signal on Earth's satellites and realizes it's a countdown to destruction. Meanwhile, President Thomas Whitmore mounts a mission to speak with the aliens that goes poorly. Whitmore puts aside their differences and listens to David just before the aliens strike and destroy three American cities and capitals across the globe. On July 3rd, the world mounts a retaliation, but the alien crafts are protected by force fields. One of the pilots, Captain Stephen Hiller, manages to survive and captures an unconscious alien with the help of former pilot uh russell cass hiller finds his way to the rosborough military base meeting up with the president and crew there the alien is dissected and that goes poorly but the president (laughs) sees telepathically the aliens plans for destruction nukes are tried and failed david comes up with a plan to put a computer virus in the alien mothership so he and filler he and hiller fly up there to deliver the president meanwhile uh leads a worldwide counterattack that is uh, finally able to deal damage thanks to the virus removing the shield. David and Hiller barely escape just as Russell sacrifices himself to destroy the alien battleship. They rejoice as the mothership explodes, creating fireworks in the sky. Yeah, you were like 10 seconds over, but that's okay. Well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. Not, it's not the I'm first not time. I'm not great at that game. <laughs> so let's get into log four. What did you guys see as adults that you may have missed as children? I'm still scared mm. of the aliens. What's with the I'm aliens? I'm still scared of them. What? I am. Well, all right. I'm not... That brings us into a good talking point. I'm not scared of... Let's talk about the effects. I'm scared of, of the, the aliens. Yeah, these are really good aliens. Like, I was continually surprised in the effects of this movie, given that it was from 1996, so over 20 years ago. They still look pretty good. There's maybe there's one or two things that maybe could be done better today. Um, I thought some of the wide shots uh, where they show people in the foreground and destruction in the background didn't look as tight as they could. But yeah, I think as far as the aliens go, the aliens looked looked good. Some of the scenes when the buildings are blowing up, I was like, oh, that's a model. Yeah, I mean. stuff that you can tell is miniatures but i mean they're really good miniatures right they're excellent miniatures i well they get a little heavy-handed with the amount of explosions in this but i 
each of the explosions is fun I to look at. I describe this as, like, as I've gotten older, as being, like, the best of the B-movies. Like, the way, like, the plot goes and how many explosions, this should be a B-movie. Aliens coming and this kind of, like, guy who's mostly before this been, like, kind of this inner city, like, hip-hop guy comes and blows up aliens. This should be a B-movie. But it ended up being, like, this huge blockbuster movie. It it takes all of those B-movie kind of trope stuff and sort of elevates it to be, like, this really super fun action movie. Yeah. And I think it it definitely took a lot from the alien movies before it. There's references to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. There was references to E.T. So alien movies done well in the past mm-hmm. are referenced here. And I think that was the inspiration that they built upon and made something really worthwhile out of it. Cause the aliens are designed well in that they, uh, their bodies are completely different from human bodies in that they don't even have mouths. They have giant heads that they communicate telepathically with. And I think they made the good choice of the kind of B movie thing of it's not trying to be a, high intellectual sci-fi movies like the 2001 Space Odysseys or, or something like that. And so it doesn't try to over-explain things. Why are the aliens here? Who cares? Why are we doing stuff? Who cares? We just need to murder some aliens. Right. Now, this, uh, I saw a comment online that I really liked where it described that uh, the U.S. military in films is only ever as good as the the enemy that they have to face. And for a bad enemy, like a weak enemy, the U.S. military is shown as bureaucratic and unable to get anything done to stop this really easy threat. This is the opposite of that, where these aliens are a major threat. They are here to destroy us. They cannot be destroyed by conventional weapons. We are in trouble. And so the U.S. military is presented as uh, the top of its game, very well coordinated, able to coordinate across the globe to attack this one force. We get our, like, our soldier we get, like, close-up time with is the man that they call Jane. Our president gets Mm. the best speech. Like, yeah. Oh my God, that speech! I love the, this. The speech. general is general is the most like stereotypical general you could have. He's gruff and he's manly and like. These oh, are... you get the you get the political weasel character who is uh, just going for power and insisting we use nuclear yeah. weapons. We've we have the we've, nukes. We better use them. We've got everything. <laughs> yeah. So this film is chock full of '90s tropes. Like, any trope you can think of in the 90s for this type of movie definitely appears here. There's a lot of uh, shorthand. There's Fruitopia, of all things. Uh, (laughs) You want want your sugary fruit beverage? We got it. Yeah, but all of these character archetypes are in this movie and don't need to be fully explained. Like, we've got your generic smart man who was, of course, trained by MIT because that's the only smart school that audiences are aware of. (laughs) I just think it's funny that he's a cable guy, but he's the only person in the entire world who stumbles across this signal and is able to figure out what it means, even though there are all these high-up 
supposedly really, really smart people that are already working on it. Because when he goes to tell them he's trying to warn them about, they're like, oh, we already have all these guys working on it, and they didn't find out what you found. Well, that feels like a very 90s trope, too. The, like, the outsider doesn't quite trust the government, is highly trained, but kind of went off the grid, and is better than everyone, and now has to work together with those people he doesn't really like sort of thing. It's a very trope of that time period, that kind of alternative counterculture sort of thing. Yeah, I, I said that he was a hipster before we had a, the name hipster. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, this is this is the time of grunge was very big, and that kind of like mm-hmm. goes into all like a lot of other um, kind of areas of personality, not just music, but like people wearing flannel and not trusting the government and and wanting to go live off in the woods or something. <laughs> So as a counter argument to Mark's point, I would say that the film gave somewhat of an explanation as to why other people would not have noticed the signal because he does not decode the signal to figure out what is being transmitted. He merely sees that the signal will eventually run itself out and no longer be a problem. So he's not trying to learn the alien system yet. All he's doing is saying, well, this is eventually degrading, and so it just won't be a problem in, like, 36 hours. And they do try to explain why the aliens are there, but it was just kind of one or two sentences later on, and then did anybody really care about that? It was more just, well, they're trying to kill us, we better get back at them. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the the only explanation I think you're talking about is when the the alien gets dissected, and is able to telepathically link with the president. Uh. Which I thought was brilliant in that they didn't try to make a justification for why the aliens could talk to human beings. Like, we didn't build a machine, and they didn't have a universal translator. It's just, this alien took over a president's mind in the attempt to kill him. Isn't that when uh, Data dies? When yeah. He gets- yeah, that is when well, Data dies. Well, he was already dead by then. He gets but- all... That's true. That's the scene. I, I mentioned off mic earlier that there was a scene that still, as an adult, freaks me out. This is the scene where the, Brett Spinner, Spiner, whatever, sure. um, gets straight up murdered by the alien. That is a scene that te- I can't handle it. It freaks me out. He, it doesn't well, show thing- you anything. Uh, there's just choking noises, and I it, the not showing is worse for me, and a lot of things. yes, that's that's why this is, film is so well done, in my opinion, is they have the correct restraint. Because yes. if they showed the alien costume off too much, we would eventually get used to it. Showing it only in partial places, maybe one or two wide shots where you get a scope of the entire thing. That's why this works. Is it's all implications until you see it in totality for that's, two seconds yeah, that, and it it's freaks like you out. It's like the way that all horror movies are supposed, well, not all, yeah. but most of them are supposed to work that way where it's more of the creepy factor of what is this thing that's attacking people? Where is it? What What does it look like? And then you get the image of it yourself in your own brain rather than seeing the costume. Well, And then suddenly yeah. they spring it on you out of nowhere. Bad guys of this, like science fiction bad guys of this time period it's a lot of practical effects and if you let them be on screen for long enough you start seeing oh there's a zipper there's where a scene meets stuff like that Mm -hmm. so like we talked about aliens the movie you see 
out of context pictures of that alien, oh yeah, you can see how that that creature, the whole you see the whole body thing of it, it looks really dumb because it is a practical effect. You see it just the face coming out of nowhere or just parts of it. It is the most terrifying thing. And I think it's the same thing with this because these practical effects, when you work them where you see them only part of the time, they're terrifying. And it's it's the thing of we only know what part of it looks like. What does the whole look like? And they just wait and wait and wait. And I'm like, ah, but we know they can, you think they're dead or they're asleep or whatever, they're subdued. And they just come out of nowhere and kill Data. Yeah. Well, like, the tension in this film is really well done and really well foreshadowed. Um, Particularly towards the end of the first act, where the the aliens attack and they explode the Empire State Building and the White House. Like, that ship slowly powering up and, like, the bottom of it opening up like a flower is really well choreographed, really well made for this physical effect. Uh, And then the laser coming down and exploding the building. It's just, you weren't sure what was going to happen until it happened, and it was explosive. And the first time I saw this movie, I was, I only saw it in bits because I was not supposed to see this movie. Um, I was, (laughs) my parents saw it when it came out on VHS, so that was probably around, it came out, this came out in 96. And so yes, probably about 97 when it came out on VHS. So I was seven. And mm-hmm. so they, obviously this was PG-13. They wanted to watch it first. And my cousin and I were hiding in like the doorway watching parts of it. That makes it worse. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw part of Sarah recommends if you watch this film, you actually watch it and don't hide your face occasionally. Uh, well, because I'd, I'd hide it. And then when, when I thought they were going to catch me, I'd go somewhere else and... Don't do that. And they did let me watch like the last five minutes, which is when you're like, oh, yeah, it's a happy ending. I don't I then when I watch it the whole time, I can be like, it's fine. It's fine that the scene is terrifying. It's fine. Will Smith is going to be fine. But just, oh, that is an intense movie for a seven year old. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same experience I had with Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah, when that, that came would have out. been. Yeah. Well, I saw that in theaters when I was five. Don't do that. And I rewatched that this weekend. I blacked out a lot of that movie. <laughs> um, anyway, but we're talking about Independence yes. Day. Both have Jeff Goldblum and both resulted in childhood trauma. Uh, so I do want to take a, a brief second to talk about the beginning of this movie. Because while I do really like the pacing of this movie, and if you're interested in learning storytelling this is the perfect example of a three-act movie given that the acts are separated by title cards that introduce the days but where this film fell short for me was in the very beginning they have to introduce all of these separate storylines and i feel like they didn't know how to do it and so to get from one storyline beginning to another storyline beginning they completely white out the screen And they do some of these in really quick succession, and it's almost like a strobe light at points. Uh, I just think that this one scene transition is too over the top and, like, was glaring to watch. It made the beginning a little hard to get through for me. Can I ask a question as you were boy children in the 90s? Yes, I was one of those. How long was your hair? (laughs) Oh, interesting. I, uh... I had a bowl cut. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. I had a bowl cut at a point too. I do know that about that was Mark, seventh grade I for me. Pictures. What? 
seventh grade bowl cut. Yeah. Ooh. It wasn't a good look, Mark. Yeah. It wasn't that a was smart like first choice. First grade for me. At seventh grade, I was making my own hair decision. Yeah. Oh, see, I've never made my own hair decision. <laughs> I just go to a when I went to a barber, I would just go to a barber like, yeah, make it look good, age, a little shorter. Yeah, at this age, your hair is making your decisions for you. Well, I mean, my hair decision is that I shave it. And uh, don't have to deal I was with just it. wondering because in this movie, all of the like, chi- like the children, um, what's his face, Quaid, Randy Quaid's children, his yeah. boy children. They've got the Joseph Gordon-Lovett of this time period hair. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, I and, almost and that thought was all, the youngest um, child was Joseph Gordon-Lovett. They look very, very I I was thinking so, too, when I was watching it. That, um, but that, that and what was the other kid? Jonathan Taylor Thomas, the same oh, hair. Yeah. It's, it's all the, <laughs> the like, shaggy look. side part. Uh, yeah. Even Andrew Keegan, who plays, is, is there for two seconds. And it plays the guy the sister is making out with that the older brother oh, right. pulls her See, out of the trailer. That is the part when you said earlier that there was a scene that creeped you out. I thought you meant like in that weird way oh, instead no. of like the creepy, scary oh, way. No. I just okay. think that's, really- I mean, that's that the scene where the guy's like, either. oh, we might die tonight. You don't want to be a virgin, do you? <laughs> See, looking back on that now, I just think that's really funny because Andrew Keegan, who's in that for- scene for two seconds, but he's also more known for things like, 10 Things I Hate About You, and, like, 90s teen comedies and stuff like that. He now started his own religion, which is <laughs> kind of hilarious. Um, not, like, like one that, like, uh, the girl from Smallville is in. It seems like kind of a crunchy granola yoga cult, where they just, like, sit in a circle and are like, the universe, let's go um as far as mm, I can tell. Let's feel the energy of these crystals. Yeah, not like... The one the other girl was in where, like, they were kidnapping people. That one was real bad and real weird. Um, but, yeah, he just seems like, yeah, let's sit in a circle in yoga pants and, like, meditate. Um, but I just think that's really funny. But, yeah, everyone, all of the, like, not not the little tiny African-American boy, but all of the other, like, youth actors in this have the same exact haircut. Okay. So, I, I I get your question now. I could never pull off that look, yeah. and so I never attempted it as a child. I just wanted to know if that was just the cool haircut of the Oh, day. I would have loved to have that hair. Like, to have the hair of Jen- Jennifer Taylor Thomas? <laughs> Jennifer <No>. Taylor Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I think... Jonathan Taylor Thomas. It, I think most, that was the ideal as a child. Yeah, well, and as a child, a most of the haircut decisions were made by my parents, so I don't think I would have been allowed to do that anyway. I think I made most of my hair decisions, but I grew mine out really long. <laughs> so, to bring it back with the point I was talking about before we started <laughs> talking about hair... It was an important I, conversation. It, so it, it was important. get into the feel of the time period. Sure. Imagine hair as if a young boy had the hair of a woman. (laughs) This is the look we're going for. All right. Uh, But I think the storytelling in this film is excellent. It does a phenomenal job of balancing three or four storylines. It comes up with really good reasons for characters of a different storyline to meet with one another. The one uh, that I thought of when they they mount the attack, there's no reason that 
Will Smith would ever meet the president because he's just a soldier. However, you get the crossover between the two characters because the president is listening to the radio chatter of the soldiers going off to fight this thing. So it's not a direct contact yet, but you get a bit of the crossover between the two storylines because, of course, the president is listening to this very important attack on the aliens. So... The, the interweaving of these storylines is great for me. It's a, I think it's a really good storytelling from uh, a dynamic standpoint. And you've got characters that are connecting in ways they don't know, like um, Will Smith's girlfriend with the president's wife, where you don't know that obviously all of those pieces are going to come together in ways that obviously those characters don't know yet because Will Smith is dealing with the president and all that stuff. Well, they're, both of their loved ones are over in a separate area dealing with something else together, which those characters don't mm-hmm. even know that those people are together even though they are, which is kind of this fun interweaving that we all, as the audience, know, but the characters don't know. And they don't be just through random happenstance. Like uh, the president's wife and the the stripper with the heart of gold aren't just wandering the street and run into each other. It's that the president's child or the, the wife's chopper went down. Vivica a. Jasmine is now out in a truck looking for survivors. And she stumbles upon this one survivor after collecting like 10 previous ones. Can we also mention that this film does not kill off a dog and that makes it better? Oh, that oh. dog, though. That dog is so close I to know, dying. I know, it stressed me out really bad the first time <laughs> he, I saw that scene. I, I was worried about you when that scene happened. <laughs> there's, there's. So you mentioned that, and um, I was going to say this later, but since you brought it up, there's a whole thing in the credits. You know that they always have to put in their disclaimers about no animals were harmed. And in this movie in particular, it says no animals or aliens were harmed in the making of this film. So at least you can rest easy knowing that none of the aliens got harmed while they were making it. (laughs) I would hope aliens got harmed because we eventually find out that like the aliens brought, I assume, all of their people to colonize the Earth. Because on the mothership, there's just like there's like a billion aliens and that. Uh, that does translate to some of the fight scenes because the aliens always drastically outnumber the amount of forces attacking them. And it just, I feel like that's a really good design for these aliens as well in that it fighting them seems impossible because of their massive numbers, because of their worldwide positions and because of their shields and superior fire, the shields and the firepower make the numbers kind of pointless. But, <laughs> but well, Mark, it just shows that like even if we threw all of our forces instead of just a couple of squadrons, we wouldn't stand a chance. I will say we don't know if that's all the aliens because none of us have seen the sequel. True. I assume there might be more. We don't know if the sequel is a revenge thing or if other aliens show up and we go, ugh, not this again. Well, I think it is the same aliens, uh, because I believe the tagline for that film was somewhere along the lines of, we've had 20 years to prepare, so have they. It is, because I'm looking at the poster right now. (laughs) Yeah. Although it couldn't be the same aliens, because all of them died at the end of this movie. Well, maybe the mothership (laughs) was just a part of a much larger ship. Maybe they set out motherships to different galaxies to colonate. Colonize? Colonize. 
<laughs> pollinate is the other word. Yeah. Maybe maybe someday we'll do like a couple special sequel episodes and we'll watch it, but not today. No, hey, you know we did never. that with Mighty Ducks, where we did three of them in a row. Yeah, we but they were all from well, the nineties. Yeah, but Mark, that was a well-established trilogy. Hey, maybe this is not a trilogy. Maybe the third three. one will come out like in two years, and we'll do that. Maybe that'll be very exciting. All right. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about that this film does particularly well is the emotional notes in this film. I won't say I cried during this film, but I did get teary-eyed because of it. And we'll get to why. But even in the first act, one of the things they do is that every person has a friend or like someone that they trust that they get along with of each of the storytelling. Because uh, David has that guy with a really raspy voice who works in his <laughs> office. Oh, what's um, his face? Um, um... Yeah. Harvey Weinstein. Uh, so Harvey Weinstein, um, isn't it? So no, Harvey yes, Firestein. David has Harvey, Harvey Firestein. The guy who's now going to jail. Great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Harvey so Will Smith has a fighter pilot friend. And even Jasmine. Even Jasmine has another stripper friend who's who she a tells, moron. Don't go see the aliens. And she goes and sees all of the these, aliens. All of these side character friends die tragically when the aliens attack. What's her face is a moron. And she makes me really angry. That whole scene makes me really, really angry. Uh, So this film is really good at setting up relationships for these characters and then taking them away and showing, well, maybe it fails in showing that these characters react to losing friends, uh, but it does establish emotions and then takes them away, showing us that, People in the city lost people. They lost friends. They lost family. People we knew died in this attack. I think the one that I cared the most about was the raspy voice guy from the cable company. (laughs) Any of the other people, I was just like, nah, I don't care about you. (laughs) All right. So the one that got me is much later in the film. Yeah. It's it's the president's wife. Oh yeah, um, she, that was who yeah. goes back to the hospital, gets to see her daughter one last time, and the doctor turns to the president and says, "We did all we could. She's not going to well, make it." Well, because you have that whole point where they're around the fire and they're talking, and like she's done all of this stuff to kind of like help people after the plane crash and you're like she's done all this she's obviously gonna still be a main character right she's gonna survive yeah. right no. yeah she's a super strong woman she's gonna make it gonna be fine i her her uh she her condition deteriorated pretty rapidly though like she was there talking and just having normal conversations and two minutes later he walks out crying i would have thought that there would have been a little bit you know well, I don't I don't think the implication was that she was dead. But I will say, I I started tearing up when I learned that the wife wasn't going to make it. I got so close to crying when the, the president walks out in the hallway and sees the daughter sitting alone waiting for him, just knowing that he's going to have to explain to this little girl that her mommy is going to die ruined me. Uh, See, it- and I think she already did because then the daughter says oh is mommy sleeping now and that's when he gets all emotional and says, yeah mommy's sleeping and then she leans over and lays her head on him yeah she understood to some extent yeah. certainly 
that was a, like that was the rough part. Yeah, but they uh, so the same scene or near to it. It's right before they're going to launch the final attack of the aliens. Uh, we also get a a highlight where um, Stephen Hiller marries Jasmine, who we learned earlier he had bought the ring, was ready to propose, and now they're having the ceremony because. This is the might be the last chance they're ever going to see each other. So it's a it's mixed emotions in this film, knowing that they're having one of the happiest days of their life, but they're doing it because Hiller may not survive the attack. Uh. So I w- also wanted to talk about Will Smith in this movie, who was surprisingly good. I and that's what I think Sarah mentioned earlier about how he was known as being an inner city hip hop kid, <laughs> which I was Fresh Prince the only thing he had been in before this, and was, then his he and also, then he did some rapping too. I don't think Bad, Bad Boys, Boys was before this. this. My my understanding is that Will Smith had done the Fresh Prince for a while, wanted to get into films, and he looked up. What are the highest grossing films out there? I want to be in a successful movie. Oh, it's science fiction alien movies. Well, I guess I'll be in Independence Day and Men in Black then. (laughs) No, Bad Boys was the year before this. Really? Yeah, Bad Boys was 95, the first one. Okay. Interesting. But well, either yeah. way, I I had not seen Bad Boys before I saw this one, and it was just weird to see you're used to seeing this face on TV every day as the goofy comedic role, and then you see this action movie where he's running around as a military guy shooting things. So, I mean, I guess if you're coming from Bad Boys into this, it would be less of a oops, yeah, it's a, less of a stretch. Because Bad Boys, he's playing a a cop who's really good at his job and is very athletic. And here he's playing um, a fighter pilot who's very athletic and good at his job. But even in the scenes where he's at home with Jasmine, with uh, Jasmine's kid, uh, I I liked him in that too. He he gave off the sense of being an excuse me of being an everyman, where I think in some of his later films he has lost that. Yeah. Not necessarily. I like him in a lot of things. I think he's gotten lazy about picking roles because he has picked when he's like, yeah, I'm really going to pick a good movie. He picked some really good movies. Obviously, um, people really liked Concussion, um, things like that. And then he's like, yeah, I'm just going to do an M. Night Shyamalan movie. And mm, I can yeah, I can, though, I can phone this one in. When he is introduced in this movie, uh, a lot of his lines begin with, Babe, uh, as he is relating things to his girlfriend who is still in bed. I really wanted all of his dialogue in this movie to be preceded with babe. Just, (laughs) babe, the neighbors are moving out. Babe, there's something coming on the news. Babe, there's aliens. Babe, I'm attacking the aliens. Babe, it's not going well. I mean, Will Smith could probably get away with, like, a lot of terrible movies and still come out being pretty likable in them, even if the movie's terrible. But, oh, I'm not sure about... Some of the ones he's done recently, Bright. I made it not very far into it before I gave up. What oh, was that one I with his son? Bright. It was fine. It's nothing you special. Know it's, it's nothing to write home about. Hmm? You know it's getting a sequel. Uh, well, that doesn't surprise me. It did fine enough. I just couldn't understand anything that was going on. I was like, I'm too bored. Well, that's good. <laughs> anyway, back to <laughs> Independence, Independence Day. Day is Let's the talk about when Will here. Smith made good movies. 
Yes. So for something other than Oscar bait. So I wanted to talk about the effects in this film, and particularly the explosions, because there are so many explosions in this film, and I would say ninety-five percent of them are great. I was I was afraid that eventually I would just become numb to it and it wouldn't be so exciting, but like every single one of these explosions is kind of new and different in a way. I enjoy a good explosion. So um let me ask you how you felt about the nuclear bomb explosion in space. Ah. <laughs> well, okay. I, You're talking I guess, about the nuke that they leave on the uh Yeah, the so I guess unless you have watched a bomb explode in space, you don't really know what it would look like without oxygen. But <laughs> So I would say the lead-up for that is great in that we see the... The ship starts to glow red, which is different because all the alien ships are this deeper green color. And so we see the uh, the the explosion start to build up along the surface and spread out on the ship, giving it a, a glow underneath the hull. And then it bursts forward. And so in that regard, that explosion is great to watch in that it builds up and then delivers. The explosion that I got bored of was the one, their their first attack, where they blow up New York and Washington, D.C., in that the buildings blowing up themselves are great. And then it's this large wall of fire that is just slowly moving out from those explosion epicenters. And that wall of fire goes on a long time. Here's a question for you. Yeah. How do aliens always know where the most important place is to... Population density. Okay. But, like, the White House... Or they've been... Remember, be the they've already been place. abducting yeah. people and doing their research. I guess. So they Did know. Randy Quaid be like, here's the White House, here's where our president lives? This is the White House, where we keep our most important politicians. Because <laughs> it's always like, here's the White House, here is the Empire State Building, here's where the aliens go. Right. Uh... That's a good point. I would say they've done their research on us. Okay. It's just a question. They never show up in, like, I don't know, <laughs> New Jersey. Area 51. Like, New Jersey's pretty full of people. Well, maybe they did, and nobody noticed because nobody it was New Jersey. Because <laughs> <laughs> nobody cared. Like, uh, China's super full of people. Why don't, like, every ship show up in China and India? They're super dense of people. But there were ships around the world. And yeah, but other, if you're going and, just by population density, they should only show up there because they are the most dense. Fair. That's fair. Maybe they go for local maximums instead of global maximums. Anyway. Uh, then we're I, safe. No one lives here. So I wanted to start something new. As we are not going through the plot in long form anymore, uh, one of the things that I want to be recurring in these films, let's talk about our favorite characters in this film. Randy Quaid. Yep. <laughs> All right, talk, talk to me about it. Why do you like Randy Quaid? Because he's nuts. He's also nuts in real life, but he's nuts in this movie. But he's nuts and he's right. Because he is a crazy man who throughout the thing you think he's just a crazy man who thinks he's been abducted by aliens. But then it turns out he probably was abducted by aliens. And then he mm -hmm. saves the day. And he has a really heartwarming <laughs> moment with his son. And then his son is sad but learns to be a better person. Oh, yeah. And they really lay it on thick for Randy Quaid. Because mm -hmm. it's not just that he's dealing with the PTSD of being abducted and is now a drunk. Everyone in his town is making fun of him. He is the constantly. stereotype of a crazy person who says he's been abducted by aliens. Which is kind sure. of what Randy Quaid is in real life now. 
to be fair, he's also really bad at his job. He has one job, <laughs> which is to crop dust fields, and he can't get this correct. Yeah, but if he's that drunk, it's kind of hard to know which field you're flying over. I guess. At least he I could suppose. still fly the plane and land it. <laughs> I just like that he is proved correct when he knows what to do at the end and saves the day. Though, even when they put him in a fighter jet and give him the rundown and talk about his flight experience, he tells them, I've been abducted by these aliens before, and even the military people who have seen aliens that day mm -hmm. look at him like he's insane. I think that's just how people respond to Randy Quaid. <laughs> he ran away Just to in Canada. general. Uh... He is the weirder of the Quaid brothers. Oh, so he has a line that is a particular trope in movies, also in the 90s. I picked a hell of a day to quit, quit drinking. drinking. That and the, the, what is the, the I retire tomorrow lines. Oh, right. Yeah, I was one day from retirement. And that person's going to die. Never makes it out alive. And probably the I picked a hell of a day to quit drinking means they're about to pick up a gun and start shooting. Right. Uh, the, the other equivalent to this is somebody, like, a chase scene happens and something crazy happens in this chase scene and a bystander sees this crazy thing happens, looks to the bottle or flask in his hand, throws it away. It's just like, never again. Oh, <laughs> uh, Randy Quaid. I'm trying to think of who, I, who else I love, but I love Randy Quaid in this. Um, Phil, Phil Pullman's really good. Oh, yeah. I am debating whether or not we want to do a dramatic reading of Bill Pullman's speech oh, in this thing. It's a crazy. Let me see if I can pull it up. <laughs> oh, oh, Judd Hirsch. Judd Hirsch is so funny in this movie. Judd Hirsch plays uh, Jeff Goldblum's father. And yeah, is, he was oh, good. Oh, yeah, I loved him in and this. And he, he's, he's, he, he's almost this little matchmaker because every time he's like, why don't you just call her? And then I don't even about, like, know if I've ever seen. Why'd you him punch the president? Else? Oh, he's in um, Taxi. Uh, taxi well, was one never of his well-made things. So actually, the speech the president gives is not that long, but it's it's so inspiring. Like I was so excited for them to go and shoot aliens after he gives this speech, just because it's. It's like the speech from Miracle, and it's where you want to you want to get up and you want to fight the Russians or aliens, whatever they may be. And it's right <laughs> after like they've get shown like clips of all of these craft spaceships all through the world, and all of these people being like, "Yeah, they're all down." And what isn't it right right after that that they do the speech, or is it right before? I thought they're back after he gives the speech. No, no, it's before it they take sport? off. It's motivation for them is to go motivation? up and win yeah, the fight. Because I think the idea is that he's worried that all of these amateur pilots will lose faith before attacking the aliens. Right. Uh, but the, the final line, uh, or one of the final lines. Oh, here we go. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today we celebrate our Independence Day. Ah, oh, so good. So I've got a few gripes that I want to take with this movie. Uh-oh. Uh, so they're You've not... You've been sitting here telling us how great it is. I know. These gripes are minimal. They did not ruin my experience of watching this movie. And they may not only be specific to this movie. 
But I was curious, did you guys have any pet peeves with this movie? Did anything just irk you the wrong way? I I don't think so. All right. There well, are, I'll, you know, I'll go every ahead now every mine. now and then y'all see, you know, little editing errors <laughs> that I pick up on a lot that other people may not notice, but but it's not something that necessarily ruins the movie for me because they weren't that that bad. Yeah. So these are very minor things that are generally just pet peeves for me. When somebody in a movie listens and hears Morse code, but can't just say it's Morse code. He has to say, well, that's old Morse code. And I get that technology has moved on and we no longer communicate just with Morse. But you should still be well-versed on it if you're a communications expert. You shouldn't be surprised at it when it comes up. But he knew how to translate it, didn't he? He did. I guess it's just the line, (laughs) old Morse code. Like, that is only for the audience watching it is not true to the character who says it. The other thing that bothers me uh, is that David, when he is struggling to write the virus that will infect the aliens... He has time to write and script and test and perfect a UI, which will tell him when inserting the virus is done. Just when you are given a computer test that you're not sure how long it's going to take, and yet you have a bar on your screen that tells you exactly how long it's taking, that bothers me from a UI standpoint. Nerd. Yeah. (laughs) Nerd. I, there were some Carl's things about that virus that I found questionable. Go on. Um, I, I don't know how to describe it necessarily. Uh, it, it just... So how about when, when they get up into the mothership, first of all, do, how do they know that their computer programming is going to be compatible with the alien's technology I think in order to write a virus for it? Secondly... Um, why, why would you send them the skull and crossbones before you decide to blow them <laughs> and warn them about it? Uh, cause I don't think they know what that means. They might not have skulls. Yeah. They might be made. Maybe they're just jelly sacks or something. They might be made entirely of goo. Uh, they might no, actually the, be the made of jelly. We might be able to eat them. Is, so we've seen them like, um, stair step down the size of their crafts. Like, you have the enormous mothership, who is, uh, from what I looked up, a quarter the size of the moon. Then you have the smaller ships, which position themselves over cities. Then you have the even smaller ships that do the dogfights. And they're taking a dogfighting ship up to the mothership, which should not be the case, because that ship should not dock in this much larger ship. So the aliens should have known something was going on before that. But it, it also because the, they had ports for it to dock at. But the aliens have communications. They can't just talk to the ship and see that it's it can't return any of the secret codes that allow it to board. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was wondering how they wouldn't like have recognized that it was a 60 year old ship. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point as well. They, they do look exactly the same, but. They spent all their technology budget on something else. Explosion. Explosion. They spent it all on the jelly barrier. 
And so the ships look exactly the same. And while we're talking about explosions, I did want to pass along something I read about uh, Volker Engel, uh, which is a name of a human being uh, for our listeners who designed the effects for this movie. And he has said in the past that he thinks he might have... he might have done his job too well to make it look exciting to blow up the White House. And so he worries that he gave inspiration to terrorists or other people who would do harm by giving the idea of, like, if you do this, it'll look great. And you can just try that out. Don't blow up the White House. Yeah, don't do that. Just leave it to film. <laughs> PSA, leave it to... don't blow up the White House. That's our lesson for the week. Anyway. But we're not to that yet. We're pretty darn close. All right, so I'm going to go through the rest of my notes. Do you guys have any other final things before we go on to games? I don't have any games. You don't have any games? I didn't have any notes. I'll make something up. (laughs) This will be fun. Great, great, great. great. (laughs) Oh, uh, Mark, here's a question for you. Why do you think uh, the... Military base at Roswell, New Mexico would be viewable overhead if it's a secret base. Yeah, I wondered about that, too. I was actually thinking, like, now we have Google Earth and all that stuff, so any base that that is visible overhead, we'd be able to look at on any of our Google Maps things. So... I I don't know how he knew that was there or how he saw it when he flew over. And besides that, when they get there, it looks all old and abandoned up on the surface until they get down the elevator to the really advanced area that's all underground. So I don't know how he would have even known what it was flying over it. Uh, yeah, uh, the other thing I took a gripe with is everyone in New York is panicking, yet... David and father are able to get to the highway without trouble. Like, a lot of those roads are already blocked. I get once you're on the highway, going towards D.C. is probably better than going away from it, but I don't see how they got to the highway. So something that I thought was interesting, we mentioned that all the alien ships have their shields. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's the whole chase scene where... um, Will Smith is getting chased by the alien and he's trying to go. He goes through a canyon to try to get away from it. And then, first of all, he releases a parachute that lands directly on top of the alien ship somehow. Yeah. And then just ejects out of his plane and lets this multi-million dollar craft explode. But (laughs) then the alien ship, which has a shield that can't be penetrated by our weapons somehow crashes into a rock and that that <laughs> makes him crash i guess I, that's an excellent point. so i'm not I, sure how that, that came, works but yeah <laughs> yeah that's probably a movie error um i will say i did find will smith's dog fighting in this film excellent that's extremely well choreographed fighting because at, at points in the film at points in other films i'd point out why are you zigzagging? Just go straight towards the thing you want to go to. In this film, it really makes sense that, like, they put enemies in specific positions that Will Smith has to serpentine to avoid the shots, or, like, he has to go into a canyon to get the cover. Uh, and on the alien ships, he has to swerve around these pylons so that the aliens don't have a direct shot on him. And, and I'm not sure what his buddy was trying to do. 
Uh, oh, yeah. The two know. of them were He's flying with each other trying to escape, and his friend just decided, oh, I'm going to do something here, and and somehow that made him lose his oxygen, and then the alien shot him because he stopped paying attention. <laughs> Maybe he was trying to do, uh, like, a Star Fox loop-de-loop maneuver to get behind the aliens. Maybe. I don't know. But he was going too fast for it to succeed. All right, well... If you guys have no other notes, let's go on to games. Our first game is the pitch game, where we take two or more properties, shove them together to make this property. So, in the form, it's this meets this. So, guys... Tell me, what is Independence Day in terms of other things? Other things, not just... Properties, movies, (laughs) stores, what have you. Just anything and ever. Yes, cultural touchstones, if you will. Well, I have one that's pretty obvious that we already talked about. So, um, this is a movie with Will Smith in an action comedy role with aliens. Oh, I see. (laughs) And... A movie where Earth is being dominated by visitors from another planet scavenging our resources, but eventually get defeated by the common cold. Ah. So it is Men in Black meets War of the Worlds. Well, some of those overlap. (laughs) All right. Some of those two. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I had trouble this week in that I kept coming up with, like, alien movies Mm -hmm. that I wanted to pair with another genre, except for Independence Day is kind of only an alien attack movie. Uh, And so all of mine, all six of mine that I'll use in my three pitch games are alien attack movies. Uh Uh-oh. So it's just going to be one paired with another. I I was really trying to come up with ones that weren't alien movies just for that reason, and I couldn't. I know. It's just, it's really hard. All right. So I've got Adam Baldwin playing a highly trained combat expert shooting creatures from outer space in a property with spaceships delivering packages. And Brent Spiner playing a highly intelligent character who has trouble relating to human beings and expressing the correct emotion at the correct time in a property (laughs) with ruthless aliens bent on the destruction of the human race. This is Firefly meets Star Trek The Next Generation. Nice. All right. Because this is Jeff Goldblum who thinks everything is a bad idea and has to Uh. attempt to help people not die from bad creatures uh-huh. <laughs> meets the earth being attacked by aliens and people dying from misunderstanding what the aliens want this is jurassic park meets pixels, pixels. <laughs> i have not seen that movie <laughs> i did not realize pixels were aliens. i yeah. didn't either really aliens, I... but they receive a message that has 80s pop culture so that's the form they huh. come down in interesting <laughs> wow i have not I seen that i've just seen a lot of reviews it, of well they are right. invaders I, from space i had forgot pixels existed yeah. don't we all wish we could i almost had jurassic park on my list but i didn't so did I. <laughs> uh oh now i have to know which one to go to next okay 
because an in- this is a movie where an intergalactic evil threatens the remaining resistance with giant super destructive spacecraft, but their ship has one fatal design flaw which the heroes exploit to win the day. And it's a movie where a man vows revenge against a foreign oppressor, and in the end he dies for his cause but becomes a hero and saves many lives and ends a war in the process. It's Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope meets Braveheart. Oh, Braveheart. I, I was trying to figure out what that other one was. I haven't seen Braveheart. What? It's all right. There's a brave guy. He has a heart. That's, That's pretty Gibson much it. He, yeah. Yeah. All right. So I've got a 1996 movie featuring Earth getting invaded by creatures from another planet with the president trying to make peaceful first contact, but the aliens refusing wholeheartedly. And... A multi-storyline movie about defending Earth from invaders, featuring a large amount of signal processing to decipher the alien systems, a secret government organization that has hidden alien technology, and an angsty teenager. This is Mars Attacks meets Transformers. I almost did Mars Attacks. I also almost had that one. It's a weird movie. It's so weird, but it's kind of it's more of a B movie yes. than oh, this one. No, is. it is Definitely. trying to be. Yeah. And I love the alien design from Mars Attacks, just cause like they talk in a really high pitched uh high freaking high pitched uh like that is trying to be like an Ed Woods Oof. sort of like um oh shoot, who did hairspray? John Travolta. <laughs> the first hairspray. Uh, John uh, Waters. Uh, whatever. Roger. But no. <laughs> um, but but that sort of uh, the guy who uh, hairspray and Cryberry being that sort of thing, just really really campy and terrible. Um, is it country music that makes them explode? Yeah, it's a, like a country yodeling song. <laughs> um, uh, we need. We should watch that movie. We should. That yeah, came out in the nineties. I'd be on board. Um. Anyway, so my second one is because it's a movie where Will Smith shoots a lot of weapons, and a movie with terrifying aliens that makes Sarah scared. It's Aww. Bad Boys meets Alien. Uh, <laughs> all right, Mark, finish us off. Well, what is your final? Sarah one? is a jerk. <laughs> Did she steal Bad Boys meets Aliens from you? No. Um, I'm not sure which one she was referring to. I think she said aliens with an S, but... No, I I said alien with no S. Oh, well, good. Then you didn't steal mine. (laughs) Game over, man! This is a movie where... That was also aliens with an S, by the way. I'm aware. (laughs) It was Bull Pullman instead... Or Bull Paxton instead of Pullman. Wrong bill! So, because it's a movie where some of Earth's military personnel are dominated by an alien species, the protagonist travels deep into enemy-infested areas, and eventually the problem is solved by a nuclear explosion, meeting uh, a movie where, or, or a property where humans are able to defeat the attempts of otherworldly beings with the help of an alien craft. It is Aliens, with an S, meets Doctor Who. Ooh. Just in case anyone was wondering, it's John Waters was who I was thinking of. Ah, all right. I have heard that name. All right, my final one. Aliens invading Earth, bent on destroying the human race, who conveniently have force fields to deflect human weapons, then get defeated by a virus. And humans trying to communicate with aliens via flashing lights and music, with some people really on board with getting abducted. This is War of the Worlds meets Close Encounters of the Third Kind. 
Yeah, I almost had that one also. <laughs> That's why I, I had a lot of almosts and then tried to get rid of them because they were alien movies and, and it didn't really No, work, I just so. went alien movies for every single one of them. All right, let's move on to our second game, which is alternate tagline, a phrase you would see on the movie poster for this film describing the theme of it, uh, though in our case, maybe missing the point. So, Mark, you're going to once again start us off. What is your tagline for Independence Day? Uh, I will start with the worst one first. Great, that's my strategy every time. <laughs> on Earth, no one can't hear you scream. <laughs> All right. Uh, Independence Day, your holiday weekend has been canceled, as has all future weekends. <laughs> okay, mine is Independence Day. This time, taxes will have to be raised. <laughs> they destroy a lot of stuff. They really do. The infrastructure of America is gone. They're going to need to raise some funds. Uh, Independence Day. When recycling isn't enough to save the planet, try creating a virus. Hmm. All right, I've got Independence Day. It's a blast. Sometimes literally. Uh, is it... Uh, Oh, Sarah, are you out? I'm out. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, I will do one more. Independence Day. When you think all hope is lost, turn to the town drunk. Hmm. Very great. Uh, so mine is more conceptual uh, for my final one here. So it is the Independence Day poster. If you got, if our audience remembers, it is the alien ship over top of building shooting down their destructive beam, about to create an explosion. And so it would be the title followed by a quote. Uh, it'll be Independence Day, quote, you did not shoot that green shit at me, quote, attributed to the Earth. <laughs> yep. Good. I, Thank you. I, I, is that a tagline? <laughs> I don't think it is. <laughs> All right, let's go on to our third game, which is the TV Guide game. A description of the plot of the film, as you would see in a Netflix or TV Guide description. Though, once again, for us, possibly missing the point. Always missing the point for me. Yeah. All right, Mark, start us off. What do you got for the plot of Independence me Day? Me again? Yeah. yeah. It sucks going first, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> what was that noise? I'm trying to pick one. Uh... Feeling much safer after receiving an assignment behind a desk, an alien discovers no job is safe in war when a nuclear bomb lands on his desk. Ah, uh, very nice. I have a cable TV worker forces his dad to go on a road trip with him, and then the murders start. Soon it is up to a drunk, a divorcee, a NASA reject, and the President of the United States to set things right again. The fate of the world depends on a government official's ex-boyfriend. <laughs> when Bill Pullman was promoted from King of New York to President of the United States, he didn't realize he would be in the middle of another life-and-death struggle, this time to save the entire planet. Wow. <laughs> All right. Uh, my final one. America's 220th anniversary spoiled by some out-of-towners who decide to wreak havoc. Nothing seems able to stop them until one man remembers, oh right, it's the 90s, so the solution is hacking. 
A family resolves their issues with their father when it turns out all his delusions were true. Hmm. Very nice. All right, let's go uh, uh, on uh, to... Uh, uh, uh. Oh, wait. I do Marcus, have one, one more. He thinks he's so special because he wrote three for every game. And actually, it's going to be terrible, but it's worth it because I wrote it down. Yeah. No, please go ahead. Uh, after a crass landing renders him unconscious, an alien loses his life in the pursuit of freedom. Hmm. It's all he wanted uh, was to be free. Well, sure. He I also want wanted to, to kill human free. beings. Well, there's that. So, I mean, there's that. <laughs> I want to break free. Okay. The song. Is that the King of New York? No. no. <laughs> okay. Anyway, let's go on to our reviews. Our first review scale is, of course, our infamous potato scale, where we will tell you what to expect emotion-wise in this film based on our relationship with potatoes. So what do you guys have? What is Independence Day in terms of potatoes? I, I feel like... Carl and I may have this at least one of these in common, and possibly yeah. Sarah. Um, my first reaction immediately while watching the movie was gold potato right away. Yeah. Um, especially during the speech at the end. But then when when the good guys win, it's like, hey, we win. Good job. Gold yeah, and potato. you're seeing all of those parts on the ground in all the different countries. And the fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I. There were, we discussed all the points that were good and some of the issues that we had with it. So I, I kind of had written down boxed potato for not as good as it could be, but it was kind of questionable because <laughs> I like, I still really enjoyed the movie, but I there were some areas that to me didn't stand up because I remember really liking it before and now it was like a lot of the movie was just, me kind of sitting here and then there'd be a few parts that I enjoyed. So, yeah. So for me that, um, I had some issues with the film as well, though. I think that'll be better reflected in the number scale than in this one. I thought as far as the emotions went, this was spot on. Like you get, um, you get some really tough moments to sit through where people are dealing with grief and trying to explain grief to a child you get the excited moments when they're about to go to war. You get the lovely moments when they are uh, having a wedding before going out. Uh, so I thought, as far as emotions went, this film was spot on. I was so close to giving it five Kai's fries. Uh, however, I read a review from Roger Ebert, who saw this film, who pointed out that the emotions on the main cast is fine, but for supporting cast and in the world, not so much. At one point, there's a newscast where they say that the towns of New York, Washington, D.C., and L.A. have been destroyed. And instead of taking a moment of silence to appreciate the magnitude of their death, they delivered in such a way that as to suggest the next line would be, and let's go to Dave for the weather. Like... It's so perfunctory. So, like, if the human beings were reacting to this in the real world sense where people were going out of their minds that the world was ending, I feel like I would maybe give this five guys tries. That's really funny because I, I looked at some of the trivia and I guess all of those news reports, those mm -hmm. are new, real news anchors. They didn't get actors for them. They're real news anchors. 
And so maybe that is why. Maybe they're so used to like having to do those tonal transitions that they're so used to like, and then 10 puppies died and on to sports. That that was just how their automatic response is on having to give bad news. Yeah, maybe they should have gotten actors for it instead of real professionals. But as far as my potatoes, I'm still going to give it a good score. Just I can't quite give it five guys fries. So steak and shake fries, I think, are applicable here. That's our second place potato where it's almost as good as five guys. Uh, Gold potato, definitely. I definitely felt proud at the end where there was fireworks flying from the sky. I wanted a a Sousa march to be playing at that point. This film made me feel patriotic, which is weird. Um, uh, And I will even give it a a sweet potatoes. And sweet potatoes go both ways in that it's simply not as expected. And I was surprised by this film in a good way that it really uh, was better than I thought it was going to be. I'm going to give it gold potatoes for the things said before. Yeah, you're like, yeah, America. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> we beat those aliens. We didn't get help from any of those other countries. We did it. No, we did it ourselves. Um, and I'm going to give it steak and shake as well. Like, this isn't an Oscar movie. This isn't something you sit and it's highly intellectual. But for what it is, for a popcorn action flick, this is kind of the best of the best of what it is. It's... You mm-hmm. sit there, there's explosions. It doesn't overthink it, but at the at the same time, it gives you characters that you feel for, that you root for. It is the top of its class for that kind of movie, and I think it holds up, and so I think it's mm-hmm. good. But it's still, like, there are some things that kind of hold it back a little bit, so it's still second place. But I still think, for, for if you want to sit down, you want to watch some... Some action stars beat up some aliens. This is the movie that is going to make you feel good about it and watching it. So I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's go on to our second scale, which is a uh, rewatchability scale, zero to 10. Should our listeners go back and watch this movie? I guess I'll start <laughs> off here. <laughs> um, so, my biggest problem with this movie was not the small gripes that I put before. Those are just little uh, pet peeves of mine that a lot of movies do really didn't matter in this. I really enjoyed watching this film. The main problem I have with it is this film is over long. This film clocks in at around two and a half hours, which is too long for this type of action movie. Uh, I'm not saying it has to be out in an hour and a half, but two and a half hours is too long. And so I had to watch this film in pieces because each of the days of July 2nd, 3rd, and 4th representing the acts is really like its own short film. And so I have to take points away for that, that I could not finish it in one sitting. I watched the first two days, the uh, the first try, and was able to finish it off on the second try. Now, that being said, once the acts get going, what because they, they have emotional shifts, they reset at the beginning of each of the days in the film, and it slowly ramps up to the, the main action at the end of that day. Uh, and in those slow moments, I'm a little bored. In those... Fast action-packed movies, very excited. I'm very on board, and I get why the slow mo- the slow pieces had to happen to get there. There's just a bit too long to get through. So, with all of that said, I would probably still give this like an eight point five. So, still very high on the scale. Um, I think my gripes 
uh, took away 0.5 and the other stuff took away a point. So 8.5 is my review. I think I'm about there with you. Um, mm -hmm. It's also, I mean, for, for people the generation below us, it is a very 90s action movie. And so um, younger kids, it might take some getting into and getting used to of that. But, I mean, I still think a lot of those 90s action movies hold up, but they might be like, what is this old nonsense? <laughs> oh, Which makes right. Me feel not to break old. in, but I'm going to. The technology in this does not hold up. At one oh, yeah. point, uh, they have a computer, and <laughs> he puts a little satellite dish on the roof of a car, and his dad asks us, well, what's that? And he says, Dad... This is every phone book in the United States, as yeah. if that is mind-breaking for this era. Yeah, and there's, like, them in rooms with, like, bunches, like, when they're in um, the office, there's, like, computers and stuff, and it's like, oh, they're all huge, <laughs> which is fun. Um, well, <laughs> those would not just, be huge if somebody from, like, the 60s was watching. <laughs> yeah, but there's just this feel to 90s that you don't, can't quite describe, but you start watching, and I'm like, yeah, I can kind of pinpoint when this came out. Um but I mean, not cool. But I, I still think it holds up once you kind of get into it. If you were a, a younger child, be like, they're they're talking slowly. They're letting it. We we were talking about other movies before the podcast started about some movies today. If everything has to be constantly moving, constantly moving. And so kids today might not be so used to to letting things build and letting people have conversations at a normal rate. And so that might be something to get used to. But I'd still go eight and a half. I still say people should watch it. There's fun things blowing up and Will Smith being kind of top of his game early in his career. And so mm -hmm. before he got lazy, <laughs> come back to us, Will Smith, do good movies and not just serious please. ones. Give me a good comedy again, please. He's good in serious movies, too. No, he's really good in serious movies, but he does that. He's like, he'll do a serious movie trying to get an Oscar. And then he'll like, I can phone in a comedy and get me a couple million. Please, a good comedy. I miss you. I mean, was You'll Suicide never Squad this, but... not a comedy? <laughs> <laughs> he was supposed to be the, one of the only good things in that. Yeah, Him and Margot it's the Robbie. biggest meta joke to come out of Hollywood in a long time. He and Margot Robbie were supposed to be good, really good in that, and everything else was That's awful. That's what I heard, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, I that is exactly the number I was thinking before either of you gave yours. <laughs> so Are we actually agreeing I feel like it's, it's a good movie and i would definitely recommend watching it um if you haven't seen it and if you have seen it but it's been a long time it's worth watching again because i know it had been a while since i had seen it and there were parts that i had forgotten and some parts that i don't think were on the vhs that i owned as <laughs> when i was younger so there there's new things to see in it now i guess but <laughs> But uh, I, it, it's definitely worth watching it. But it, it does, it's not top tier ten out of ten or twelve out of ten or however high Sarah goes on some of our movies. <laughs> so, so it's yeah, eight, eight and a half. Wow, it's rare that we're all in agreement. It's also rare to hear the review of a twenty-year-old movie as. There's new stuff in it now. <laughs> it's new to me, so. Uh, all right, so we're getting towards the close of our show. Sarah, can you tell people where to find us online should they choose to do so? You can find us on Facebook at Retrograding Podcast. You can find each other at Retrogr Retrograding Party Line. You can find us at our website at retrograding.fm. 
www.fireside.fm. And you can find us at iTunes under the podcast section at Retrograding. And you can leave us a like, a review, a share. You could tell your friends in person like normal humans sometimes. I don't talk to people. Um, yeah, we like that. We like when you tell people. It makes us happy. Yeah. All right. So this is going no, to bring no. us... All right. Our music is done by Dominique Barnes. <laughs> you can find her on SoundCloud at Dominique A. Barnes if you'd like to contact her or hear more. All right. That is going to bring us to our final segment, which is, guys, I learned something today. Sarah, you said you have a lesson for our listeners that you learned by watching this film. Guys, I know it looks cool, and I know you think it would make you look cool with all your friends, but remember, don't blow up the wet house. Yeah, that's that's it that's the one all right so mull that over also if you want to picture this think that sarah's wearing a backwards hat and sitting backwards in a chair to really rap with you guys because it's the 90s mm-hmm. also uh that's gonna close <laughs> us out so thank you for joining us we'll catch you next time 